It's stupid Game of Thrones talk time again. Yay. Because we're trapped in an eternal recurrence and this show will never end. I mean, it's kind of about the end, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just this version. You Yes. Yes. Until the inevitable prequel, sequel, reboot, spinoff, mobile game. Uh, I'm sure there's anyway, a lot of mobile games already. Oh, there's like a thousand. Of course there are. Um, and then and for every like licensed Game of Thrones, there's like Battle of Chairs, <laughs> Empire of Games. Uh, so anyway, anyway, uh, so season eight, episode three, The Long Night. It was a long night. It was. Some might say a little too long. <laughs> Some might say. Would you say, Greg? Some might say it could have been maybe a 20 minute night. <laughs> so i take it you loved this episode uh, i will say after watching it last night i was ready to start throwing worst episode ever type language around wow i have softened a bit okay was that just your own musings or or people making points or reading reviews and and changing your opinion or, or just it all sinking in Column A, column B. Um, I think on further reflection, it's I've come around on some things. And, you know, some other people have made some interesting points that make make me feel like it's not in the bottom five Game of Thrones episodes. But um, the feeling on the Internet seems to be that this is a rather divisive episode. And um, I am I am among the haters on this one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i um and also am also among the haters i got called a hater at work today <laughs> during our our routine hour and a half you know Good. monday morning discussion Good. um i felt a little awkward because usually i'm i feel like you've changed me greg i feel like <laughs> i've gone downhill because now you know i came in i kind of well, I won't go down this road, but I, I kind of dumped on Endgame a little bit, and then I dumped on this, and I'm like, who am I? What, what's happened to me? I used to be <laughs> bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and oh, no, it was fun because of this and that, and blah, blah, blah. Now it's just like, everything sucks. Is this, what, is, this, is this what 30 is, Greg? Is this what happens? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you just you you just start caring about things that matter, <laughs> and yeah. you start you start realizing that, you know, two hours spent watching something that just amounted to a bunch of sound and fury is like, I could have been doing something else with this time. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, I will begin by saying that this episode was enthralling and gripping in the way that Hard Home or Battle of the Bastards was, uh, but much like the latter of that category, um, didn't really mean a lot and was kind of dumb. You know, I will say that when I... That episode ended. I my heart was racing. My hands were clenched. It was definitely it definitely got me. So they must have done something right there. Uh, you know, score was good. There was some very nice cinematographical. That's not a word. You know what I mean? It looked nice sometimes. And but you know, and then there's a big however. <laughs> yes. So what's what's your what's your however here? So like. <sighs> Well, first off, I can I can suspend some disbelief for some stuff, you know, 
and sometimes you know i'm not expecting every single thing in a show like this or any sort of piece of media to always make perfect sense or have a complete logic people make mistakes sometimes there's plot holes that's okay we've discussed this a million times however nothing in this battle made any sense mm-hmm. let me let me play armchair general for a second i mean i've never you know been in the military i have studied a lot of military history uh, i've also played a lot of like you know age of empire and you know other games that i'm sure are very similar to real war but nothing in this setup made sense so they had this you know that scene in the previous episode where they're all sitting on the table and they're like we've got this plan and they got a little battle map which looks kind of cool I-, I like maps i'm really into bad maps Go check our maps episode. You'll see why. Uh, and I was like, cool, cool. All right. What's the plan? Ah, the plan is to draw the Night King. Okay, cool. What else is the plan? I don't know. So there's got to be another plan, right? Nah. Okay, cool. Fine, fine. We have a we have a thing we're supposed to focus on in the episode, which is the Night King. Uh, the rest of it doesn't matter. That's the kind of message they sent. And that's kind of how the episode played out. Yes. And we talked about this a little bit last week that the planning part of this is important because you need to establish certain things that make the drama of the battle understandable. You need to know what both sides, what their goals are. You need to know what their kind of beginning strategies and tactics are. And then as the battle progresses and evolves, you you see how those tactics evolve and shift. And you continue to see where the... Um, the different parties are in relation to their goals and you need to establish all of these things and you need to establish at the outset and then throughout the battle what is good news for one side and bad news for the other to keep us interested in it and make the whole thing legible and understandable and to give the proceedings a bit of an ebb and a flow uh and it's it's simple to do things like this they started to do it in the last episode they were like if the Night King kills Bran, we lose. If we kill the Night King, we win. Okay, I get it. I understand the big pieces of this. But you also need to give me a couple other little pieces like, um, you know, we need to, we, we don't want to use the dragons until such and such a time because such and such a time. Or if the, um, if the dead get through this line of defenses, we're screwed. Uh, um... We didn't get any of that. So the battle itself, you didn't really, you didn't really know or care what was happening because you didn't know um, how meaningful it was or wasn't that they couldn't light the trench, right? Right. Um, but yes, I, I, it was, and also the tactics of these of our heroes seemed incredibly boneheaded. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you. so you start off the fight, right? Melisandre so, shows up, which I liked her showing up. Yep. Um, it was, it, it was a was nice good. little surprise, kind of a neat visual, her riding across the field, you know, unhurried and alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you get to sort of the setup for that. We've got the Dothraki horde, you know, this menace we've heard about and seen in combat and known that it's this terrific fighting force of ferocity. And they're out there on their horses, okay, with their... I forgot what they call them. Some kind of a rock. A rock. Yeah. Cool. Um, cool name. I like that. Uh, but they, but they. I guess they wouldn't make them dragon glass ones. So they had normal ones. Yeah. And this is going to be your first wave. So a couple things wrong with that. A. They can't kill the bad guys. Seems bad. Yeah. Two. This is not how you use cavalry, especially lightly armed, armored cavalry 
that are designed for harry harrying and flanking and you know riding in circles around things and these sort of things like that's what the dothraki have been shown to us so far and instead you're going to use them like heavy chargers that don't have any armor and also can't kill the bad guys and 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 like what okay so all right she lights them on fire they'll disappear cool visual don't get me wrong yeah fun to see but and this is gonna be the, the reoccurring theme for this and is explaining a lot of past episodes and and past seasons when i watched the inside the episode it became very clear to me very quickly based on how they're describing it they were just so concerned about what looked cool what's monotonous what's a good visual what's a good payoff right and those things are important but it became very obvious to me that this show has become at least the current version of it is focused on style over substance yes they're they're they are working backwards from what they think are cool moments, cool visuals, whatever. This Dothraki scene, yeah, the 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 visual of them riding out and everything winking out one by one, like it's very powerful and sets a great tone for the episode. Um, and they were like, great, let's do that. But to get there, they have to say, okay, well... Uh, how do they all get flaming weapons? Ooh, what if Melisandre gives them flaming weapons? Great. But then you end up in this situation where, so what was the plan? You That the Dothraki did not have weapons that were ready to fight the the dead. We've been over it. Valyrian steel, dragonglass, fire. That's what works. Like, and then, but but these guys were just so, boy, sure was convenient that the Red Witch showed up out of nowhere with the firepowers. Because, boy, boy, those Dothraki, our first charge, were just going to be a suicide mission without them. And there's a similar thing that happened in last season with the Night King getting his dragon. Because what you have to assume for all that to work was the Night King was marching his entire army south without a plan to break down the wall. Just hoping that somewhere along the march south, I don't know, maybe we'll like find a dragon that I can raise dead. Like, or maybe we'll just encounter some way to bring down the wall. I don't know. Let's just start walking and see what happens. And then, oh, look, a dragon. How convenient. Good thing we brought these chains to get it out of the lake with. It just... So because we're working backwards from the idea of like, wouldn't it be awesome if the Night King melted the wall with a zombie dragon? Yes, it would get us there. Um, It just and this was just an example of that. And it makes our heroes who, again, we've established already this this these are the best and brightest of Westeros. This is Tyrion and Sansa and, you know, uh, and, and Jorah Mormont and all these experiences experienced commanders and military geniuses and Jamie Lannister and everybody who's ever won a battle is here making this plan. And by the way, many of the people who were there making the plan had been up against the dead before. So they knew things like, because they saw how the dead all just ran off the cliff in Hardhome until they had a big enough pile of bodies to cushion their fall. They'd be like, hey, maybe one trench of burning stakes isn't going to work because they're just going to use their bodies to bridge the trench because they're dead zombies and we've seen them do similar shit before. Or you'd think that they would say, hey, remember at Hardhome when we found out that uh, 
the Night King turns our own dead against us, maybe we should make sure that all of our strategies are optimized to lose minimal people. So maybe a giant cavalry charge into the dead of night is maybe the wrong idea. Maybe we should focus on less casualty risky tactics or at least have somebody fucking say that so that somebody else can say we don't have the luxury of that blah 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 and you're like okay fine at least we thought about it yeah Ugh. and you know things like and like like i said these are these are nitpicky but in in this episode where the battle is the thing we're doing all our attention is on that and therefore when things don't make sense it breaks your immersion right which is which is at this point, for me, the most important thing. Like, the logic of the show doesn't make any sense anymore. It's not going very cool. Fine. But at least let me be immersed and enjoy the episode. However, when things like, oh, let's put our catapults in the front of the army. Why? I don't know. Because <laughs> that, that extra, you know, 100 feet really is going to make a difference. Or let's put all your infantry in front of your fortifications that you spent building these cool, you know, I don't know what those things are called. The X's, like the, the wooden thing. There's probably a, a word for them, but... Uh, you know, covered in dragon glass, mm-hmm. like cool. Like maybe then they wouldn't be able to rush and the the momentum of their you know their mass slam into your uh, infantry force. Also, maybe not put all your commanders at the front of your infantry forces. Not that that mattered in this. Yes. You know, and there's just like here's what I would have done, Greg. Right. Both from a military perspective and from an episode perspective. Lately. So, so you got you put some fortifications out in the front. You even just token ones, right? You know, you have them, but that wouldn't be as good a dramatic impact. I get that. So maybe we don't even do that. We'll just ignore that for now. You put your infantry in front. You have on either flank, on one flank, you have the Dothraki. You can still do your flaming scene later on. On the other side, you have the Knights of the Vale, which were strangely absent. I mean, I think I saw some shields with them on, but like, wouldn't you use this legendary mounted heavy armored force to help, you know, run down a bunch of zombies? Yeah, well, let's ignore that. So you have each of them like kind of behind or to the sides of Winterfell. And as the Army of the Dead is pushing in and overwhelming our troops, you have that moment of hope where the signal goes up. And this is where you have, you know, some you make some contrived way to get Melisandre with the Dothraki. Maybe that's when she shows up. She gets them on fire. The Knights of the Vale have spears with dragonglass. And they come in in a big pincer movement to, you know, smush the zombie army and relieve our heroes. And then this is the point where, you know, oh, we're going to turn the tide of battle. It might actually work. You don't have to defeat the Night King. We'll just win. And then, no, the rest of the horde shows up. And then the Night King also re-raises all these people that have died. Something like that. Yes. I think that, and giving that, that would give the battle some more ebb and flow. You have these moments where it seems like, you know, our heroes might actually win, you know, at various points. And then, oh, no, the bad guys are out ahead a little bit. And then, uh, oh no, the good guys are out ahead. Like, this is just standard um, kind of action directing. Whether or not it's a massive military battle or it's just, you know, a boxing match in Rocky. Like, you need to have uh, a little bit of back and forth. Like, whereas in this one, Rocky just got the shit beat out of him for 75 minutes and then got one lucky punch in at the end and that was it. Um and what bothered me about that was, again, like, we were supposed to believe that, you know, getting all of these main characters together, what was the, you, you, I really wanted that to be like, this is, you know, <laughs> not to draw 
too fine a comparison, but Earth's mightiest heroes have gathered to stop this threat, right? Yeah. You've got everybody who's left alive at this point in the series who's like proven themselves to be a really good leader or strategist or fighter or just all around cool dude they're all here to finally make their stand and you really want to see each one kind of bringing their special talents to bear so that you really feel like it was important that they were all here right like man i'm so glad brienne was here because only brienne could have done whatever spin move she needed to do to kill a particular zombie or something like that um because it makes these characters feel important um, and make all of the the fact that we took all of our time getting them all to Winterfell, getting them all into position. We took so much time and effort in this show to get everybody there. But then the only people who really mattered in any of this was like Arya, which maybe that's a subversion, maybe. But it also felt like we just underused all these characters. And um, because I think it felt less like that was there was a message there and more like the show just didn't know what to do with brienne and jamie during this fight yeah um i i thought this too and i i you could have gone two ways in my opinion you could have made this fight like even more horrific right like it was pretty horrific to begin with uh you know it was a pretty intense episode for sure but like i initially thought when that first rush hit them that like all those people in the front row front row were just dead yes. like brienne's gone jamie's gone like that's it like yeah. this is what this battle is going to be we just lost half our heroes to start this is what's going on this is this is just a unwinnable force of nature or you you go the perhaps a little more cliche perhaps a little more tropey but like wouldn't it have been cool to see like brienne fight a white walker yes. or like you know they have these valerian steel things and like instead of them just being like kind of shoved against a wall for three quarters of the episode and like the same scene happening over and over again where it looks like they're getting overwhelmed and dying and then just like cutting away from them and then being we like, cut back and then they're fine and then they're still doing the exact same thing it's like you've just been standing against the wall just like pushing them away and like you know once again disbelief right like jamie only has one hand it's really hard to fight with one hand when you're facing that kind of you can fence maybe but like you can't like fend off hundreds of dudes charging you right you're not doing big power swings and cutting zombies in half right and like just being able to keep yourself you know defended on all sides right but even above all that you know you've got you just and i just think they just split the difference there like they couldn't decide they weren't willing to wipe out all these characters which i honestly expected like if your name wasn't lannister targaryen or stark with maybe one or two exceptions, you were dead in this fight. And I think that was... A, um, and then not, like, upset because people are like, oh, you're mad because not enough people died. I'm like, no, that's not what this show is about. Like, it's not what people should be caring about. It's the ramifications of the decisions made and the consequences. And if you're going to have a dumb battle strategy, then people should die because of it. And that should be a plot point, not just like, eh, well, it kind of worked out. Also, slight minor note, like, who are the majority of people who died in this fight from the looks of it? Like, in the broad script, not, like, our main characters. Like, the Dothraki yeah, were pretty much sacrificed. And then, like, most of the Unsullied. It's like, I guess. oh, great. I guess we're just going to sacrifice all the brown people to save the white people. <laughs> it's like, oh, Fair. no. <laughs> There's some, um, this, this, this show is building towards some problematic things, but I want to put that aside. <laughs> um, and I want to go back to the body count issue. Yeah. I just, I, I just, people look, people keep thinking, oh, you're just mad because it wasn't a bloodbath. Like, no, I don't care that, like... 
that's not the only way to build stakes, but yes. in this situation, that's the the show has sort of trained us to be that way in one well, way. But. So I'm not I'm not saying like it's not a Game of Thrones episode if we don't kill some people or anything like that. I'm not. There is no morbid desire in me to just see more and more like beloved characters die. I'm not saying that. Um, but there's two things at play here. One is an issue of tension and stakes, and in in a show where you know it is possible for main characters to die, and you know that if those characters die, they stay dead, and if those characters die, it means something for the rest of the the, the larger mission. Um, you know, if Oberon Martell dies, that uh, is, is is going to destroy the ally- the potential alliance between um, the good guys and the Martells. Um, you know, and that 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 would be that would be a big setback for our heroes, something like that. Um, and, but when there is no longer a risk of any characters dying, all the battles become foregone conclusions. So there's not a lot of tension or stakes. And then, and since the battles in this show are not terribly interesting, it's not like this is a great, like, martial arts show where you're seeing a bunch of cool fighting styles and beautifully choreographed fight scenes. And I don't really care who wins or loses the battles. I just want to see, boy, it's going to be awesome when this character fights that character. Can't wait to see what that looks like. That's not what this show is. Everybody just swings swords at each other until limbs fall off. Um, with the exception of Arya, who actually does have kind of something to see in the way she fights. But putting all that aside, the second thing is, um, in our Game of Thrones group chat today, somebody actually made a good point of said that, that in Game of Thrones, the character deaths have essentially been plot twists where when a major character dies, it upsets the plans of various people and it sends the plot in a new direction. And the fact that this has been so linear, it becomes less interesting. Um, And again, I think because none of the characters really have any real meaning anymore in that like, oh man, you know, Jamie's the best zombie killer. It's this side of the Mississippi. So when we lose him, we're really in trouble. Um, since we haven't really established that, it doesn't matter as much. But it, there just there wasn't any real stakes or twists or movement to this. It was just eighty minutes of, I would say, rather poorly photographed action. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously a lot of complaints about the dark. I didn't that didn't bother me. Maybe we just had the TV settings at the proper thing or whatever. But I mean, some certain things. I think there was a there was a, a move to try and make it purposefully disorienting. Yep. which is which is fine. Um, I will say that watching C- fifty minutes of CGI dragons just fly around, confusing in the snow, was kind of like not great. Yes. Um, I and like this the show. I mean, like it worked on me obviously, but this episode relied on like cheap. Uh, cheap filming techniques to make yes. me feel stakes and drama, right? Like, you know, like I said, the, the constant cuts to our heroes being overrun. Like, Sam was on the ground, like, half that fight. Like, he should be dead. And not that I want to see him die, but, like, it, it just makes it feel like, like you said, like, a different kind of show. And to take even one further step back, when did Game of Thrones become about big set pieces? <laughs> I mean, as you talked about last week, like, in the first half of the show, there were some things like Battle Blackwater and stuff, things that really had an impact that we couldn't skip over. But like most of the other fights, they just skipped because they don't 
that's not what the show is about. Right. Like in real time, yeah, like I'm gonna want to see the big cool battles with epic wizards having crazy duels and the monsters. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what that's for. That's not what this is for. No, and and I do think that um, I don't know when the big battle became this like box that Game of Thrones had to check. I don't know if it was Blackwater or if it was post Martin. That they felt like this was, again, a box that needed to be checked every season. Um, But I think that in the original, the original show. uh, (laughs) Feels uh, like that, doesn't it? It does, right? (laughs) Like, you know, uh, like this is an adaptation of something that, you know, that we're already in a reboot. Like, this is the new Battlestar. Um, (laughs) There's, I think there's reasons that. George R. R. Martin in the books, and then when he had a more active role in the show, opted not to show the big battles. One, because I think that George R. R. Martin is anti-war and um, doesn't want to show the battles as like a cool thing that glorifies bloodshed and war and battle and finding honor and victory and all of those things, because I think he thinks those ideas are bullshit. Just based by on the way that when he does show battles, it's all just like, you know, shitty, dishonorable, backstabbing, blinding each other, desperate, clawing, bloody, you know, like he he, he is not a Tolkien or a Jordan where it's all glory of battle. Right. Um, and well, I also don't think, don't throw Jordan on the bus here. Uh, but maybe because his, uh, his battles are pretty brutal. Um, but you might be right. Uh, Continue. And I think that he has always been more concerned with the aftermath of battles and you know okay it what comes after the battle because i think that he's much more concerned interested in interactions and politics and how characters influence the course of history as opposed to just fights and um and i think he's also interested in uh the way that these wars the toll they take on essentially the small folk as they're referred to in universe Mm. um but at some point the show seemed to abandon that idea and wanted to get more into, you know, glorifying the battle itself and caring less about the consequences of it. Um, and it seemed to happen right around the time that uh, Benioff and Weiss started having to go their own way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I feel that it was like fully like glorifying battle because like, you know, the Battle of the Bastards was, I mean, it's it pretty... Was pretty dang like this is the horror of war right but it's still this like spectacle set piece thing right like it's a spectacle and not in the way that like you know the battle outside Minas Tirith is a spectacle it's a spectacle in the sort of in the lens of like you know this is this is rough but the battle of the Pelennoy fields sorry sorry um I knew I was missing the name of it but (laughs) (laughs) thought you let me slide but that's not what we do here no sorry Uh, So, um, and, and this biggest thing, I think like for this whole battle scene and just like the plan with the dragons and the usage of them just like really had me confused. Like, okay, so I get it that you're supposed to wait. And like one thing, another thing, sorry, I'm really off the place tonight. That's all right. So was this episode. Like, I got to stop watching the fucking after the episode inside the episode stuff. Cause like they say stuff and I'm just like, it makes me so <laughs> mad and frustrated. Like when they're like, well, you know, Danny didn't stick with the plan. Um, and I'm like, 
well, yeah, the plan was dumb. Like, you're just going to sit there and literally wait? Like, is that really the plan? Like, I get that you want to, like, be conservative with the dragons and not put them at risk. But, like, one dragon flying across the front of the battlefield just mowing down, as we saw them doing at different points in the episode, but, like, was the plan, and they showed that, they said, like, she didn't follow the plan. And I was like, okay. I, I, I uh, legit do not remember any discussion of a plan for the dragons. Do you? Well, they said they were going to let the knight you know going to draw the night king out and lead him to the godswood and then i i think the plan they didn't explicitly say it was to like jump him with two dragons and that's kill him. fucking dumb yeah <laughs> that was what i interpreted as the plan in which case okay cool if that's your plan then what you should have done is just said listen all he cares about is bran put everybody down in the crypts bran in the godswood and danny and john just hiding outside with dragons that way we don't risk anybody else, because if all he cares about is Bran, he's not going to fuck around trying to storm the castle. The only reason he tried to fight all y'all is because you were standing between him and Bran. Ugh. Dumb, 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 dumb. Yeah. So, sorry. you know, she she didn't stick with the plan, which I don't know. Is this one more like, is it them trying to create this tension between John and Danny? Once again, if they are, it's not working. Um, You know, I just, ugh, just dumb. But And I also, but, I wouldn't mind the idea of like, you know, because that's part of what we see in this, like, the way Game of Thrones is, tries to present battles is that, like, there's plans and then people make mistakes, right? right. Battle of the Bastards, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so even if this was a plot point of Danny not going with the plan, I didn't notice a part in the episode where we saw her think through waiting versus getting involved and make a decision, you know? Yeah, yep. And I, I feel like, you know, and like, even though once they're out there, like, okay, you've, you've committed, you're out in the battlefield now, but like, why fly deeper into the snow? Like, are you hunting the Night King now? It was just a little unclear, like, right. what their goals were on the dragons, because to me, it seemed like those two dragons going to town on the army for a while was going to be pretty damn effective. Yes. Because you just... I mean, and they showed that well, like, those were cool scenes, like, having a battle going on and seeing a dragon fly down and just roasting thousands of guys like that was cool that was really cool (laughs) but then you're like we'll just do that the whole time right i get that maybe they're a little nervous of like if we expose the dragons too much we'll get the ice daggers the night king will show up and surprise us like okay then hold one dragon back right like i don't know like just or tell me that's your plan right you know because again as you're watching it and you and you see that as as a viewer you're just like oh cool just do that yeah. Right, like you need to then give me the one way or the other. You, the show, need to tell me why they're not doing that the whole time. Right, and like I think that we both are. You know, at this point, we have consumed a lot of fantasy and science fiction. Where if the narrator or the story, you know, whatever, tells us something, we're just gonna be like, okay, like and move on. And it just takes a couple seconds here. There. I mean, there's so right. many things we talked about in the past episodes. Like just a couple little extra lines to give some context or explain this, which the show used to do. Right, right. Uh, which is the frustrating part, I think. We are holding back the dragons because, um, because we can't we don't risk want losing to... another one like we right. did last time, and having it turn Fine. into a, a zombie. And so we have to hold them back until the last possible minute. Okay, fine. I mean, I might not agree with the plan, but at least I understand it. Right. Um, can we talk about the crypts for a second? Because uh, I have to, uh, you know, say that I was wrong. So was I. Uh, um. And I thought this move was too dumb, even for this show. And it was dumb. It was dumb for two, three reasons. Although it did make for, I did like the scene with Sansa and, and yeah, I, I, we'll get there. But yeah, but first off, 
they did the whole let's let's raise the you know they when the night king raised everybody you know the skeletons and corpses inside the crypts of winterfell came alive and bust out of their solid stone mausoleums even though we've given no indication that these skeletons have any amount of power to like do something like that fine okay although this is one thing that and this is this is oh greg this is where it, it really gets me in the heart as we're watching this you know last night i was at my friend's house and my i said yeah because they definitely you know these skeletons have the power to punch through stone to break out of these things despite being in there for you know however many hundreds of years and whatever and my friend's wife goes yeah says the guy watching like a you know a fantasy show i'm like this is why this shit matters right because people just think if you're watching a fantasy or a science fiction show or movie or book or whatever like then you just throw all logic out the window and that's not how it works it's not how it should work not everything is harry potter in that way right like there should be some sort of internal consistency yep. that we present. And it's very frustrating because then you get, it gets lumped into this like, oh, well, all fantasy is bullshit. It's like, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> it doesn't no, have it, to be, Craig. It establishes its own rules and you expect it to play by its own rules. Even and, if you don't know all the rules, that's right. okay too. And that's exactly. But Game of Thrones has generally tried to stick pretty close to the laws of physics and materials as we know them. Yeah, with and a couple big crucial exceptions, which we accept because that's a premise. Like, dragons, dragons don't make sense. That's okay. Fine. We're all, we as a culture are all fine with the idea of dragons. And we will put them into whatever we need to put them in. We're all agreed on what the general rules around dragons are. Ditto for vampires. <laughs> um, but Game of Thrones generally, like, plays by the rules of physics and also i will point out in this episode we see the various zombies they look fragile when -hmm. they get hit with stuff they basically shatter they were showing us that so then to see these presumably fragile zombies punching through stone and then also we put everybody down in the crypts but we didn't arm any of them even with like an axe to just in case the bad guys get down there, last line of defense. I don't know, whatever. Um, let's and the other keep, thing, yeah. that, the, the thing that ma- the thing that makes it even worse, the second thing is stupid, is that that scene didn't matter or mean anything. Correct. Like no one we saw, no one know we knew about or no died, and they could have just easily had that same amount of tension just with them pounding on the door. Yep. Or even I thought would be a cooler effect was like have the mausoleums like shaking and like. Like, they're in there, but they can't get out. Right. Like, that would still be fucking scary. And, like, part of this sh- episode was, like, sort of like a horror movie at points. Yes. And that would have been, like, that. the combination of those two things could have bred just as much tension without making it being, like, more, you know, just more zombies popping up. I don't know. I just, it just yeah. frustrated me. And Maybe because I, I was wrong. But And I think that, like, um, what we, the, 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 the point, narratively, of that scene was to get to that Sansa and Tyrion scene, which... Um, I really liked, I like where they're going with that. I liked the, the, all of two minutes we spent with them was in my eyes, maybe the best part of the episode, um, to have this, this character moment between them that also not only gave us some fan service of, oh, what are these two going to say to each other when they see each other again? And it actually turned out to be very sweet and funny, but, um, but also be like, oh, actually, this relationship 
might have plot implications further down the road, as opposed to just, you know, getting the fan service check checkbox of seeing them hug. Um, so I really liked that. But then the point of the zombies in the crypt scene was just so that we can have the scene of seeing how Sansa and Tyrion react to what they think might be their last stand. And Sansa pulls out her knife, clearly saying, like, looking at Tyrion, like, so I guess we should kill ourselves, right? And Tyrion seems to go along with it and then gives her a, you know, gentlemanly, probably maybe a little affectionate kiss on the hand and then goes out to fight, saying, basically saying, rather than, like, basically saying, like, oh, no, I will sacrifice myself to protect you. That is what my last moments are for, um, which is a great moment for him, a great moment for both of them. All of this happens and you don't get that moment unless they think their lives are on the line. But I think you can get that exact same moment if they think the dead are right at the door or rattling around in the in the crypts. And then we don't need to have gratuitous, meaningless death of a bunch of red shirts. Right. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to bring up. So I will say that probably my favorite parts of the episode were the ones involving Arya. Sure. I think her line was pretty interesting although i i have to say that like the implication of like melisandre telling her to go kill the night king like i didn't that didn't i see it now but it didn't dawn on me at first it was a little unclear because like they all have blue eyes so i don't know i'm just an idiot i guess um i still don't understand like why like melisandre showed up like it was just to tell her that like what was her big important role in that fight yeah i I guess laying the trench that didn't really matter like i don't know um so but yeah sorry i keep going I, I just think that like i really enjoyed even though I, w- I will say that like once the fight fighting got into winterfell it got the fight got even more muddled and like confusing it's like well there's like thousands of them pouring in but like some rooms only have two yep. like are these and now they're like kind of like normal zombies not like crazed white walker zombies yep. like it's like walking walking it which is like fine okay like you're making a a, a, a mood change which is maybe necessary an episode like this but uh and i like those scenes and we got to see her we got to see her build up using skills that she's going to be using to defeat the night king yes which is good like that's what you should do you should be like remember all that training that we saw Arya get well not really we kind of skipped over a lot but okay well here's her actually demonstrating yes, that she can fight and stealth and do all these things that she's going to need to do to in order to do this thing at the let's, end let's remind you of her power set i didn't mind the scene in the library um on its own merits hmm. i really didn't didn't like the the way that again we went from like just thousands of zombies pouring over the walls like a tidal wave to all of a sudden like oh there's like maybe half a dozen maybe two dozen left in all of winterfell like it seemed like the tide of the battle turned off screen it, it seemed it just seemed inconsistent with like how many bad guys are left and how many are in winterfell um so that kind of i didn't that was bothersome to me because it was it, again it just pulled me out of it i'm like wait what happened why, why there i thought we were being overrun and now we're not um but yeah i mean i like it was reminding us of her power set um but to go back to your whole what was the point of melisandre thing yeah i don't fully understand it either um because you could take her out of this and still be fine because one lighting up the um uh Weapons of the Dothraki uh, answers more questions than it solves. You could have just had them light up their own things 
and then do still do the exact same thing. They just light their swords on fire. And then you don't have the question of like, wait, did they not have a plan about how they were going to kill the bad guys? Um, and then lighting the trench. Yeah, it was a scene with some tension, but I think it would have been, you know, that would have been a great opportunity for someone like, I don't know, a Grey Worm to, oh no, we're not able to light it with our arrows. Somebody's going to have to go out there and do it themselves. And then some noble soul says, I'll be the one. No, Grey Worm, not you. Oh, it has to be me because blah, blah, blah. And they go out and they sacrifice themselves in order to light the trench manually. It's a cliched scene, but you still get there. And you get a meaningful character moment out of one of your 500 main characters are just bumming around the place. So you don't need Melisandre for that. And you don't need Melisandre to give Arya a pep talk to save her brother and the entire world. <laughs> right, right. Like, she did not need to be told what the stakes were or that maybe she should try to help. Yeah. Um, it just, it didn't really take, it didn't, anything she did could have been done by other characters or didn't need to be done at all. So, ugh. Like, I kind of thought that seems going to be like, her and the hound holding off a bunch of guys so Arya can escape to go fulfill a greater purpose. Like, no, they just were hanging out in there, I guess. Like, right? Because Beric could have had, could have given her the speech about, I know why I, why I got brought back so many times. Right. This, she basically did. This just did it again. <laughs> and then, and then Melisandre just was like, "Hey, for you dumbos in the audience, let me make this crystal clear." Um, uh, but yeah, you could, you know what? To me, would have been better. If the Hound had given her that pep talk. Yeah. Something like, you know, it doesn't matter what he has to say, you know, but he can continue to hold the door and he's like, you need to go save the world, you know, something like that. Um, That would have been a good character moment. I just, all I'm saying is you could have got there without bringing this back in Um, because I do feel like that the appearance of Melisandre undercuts some of the larger themes of the episode. Um, and what, one of the subversions that I think the episode was trying to do in that whole, like, Hey, um, all this stuff, you know, like all this stuff about the night King and his origins and the magic and his powers and all that doesn't fucking matter. He just needs to get stabbed just like every other motherfucker in this show. He is not Sauron where he disappears. If you throw his ring into the fire, like you need to go up to him. You need to stab him because that's how this world works. And all this stuff about magic at the end of the day doesn't really mean anything because there's no easy way to kill the bad guy. And he's not some mystical force that has a mystical answer. He's just a dude who needs to get a knife, um, which is kind of a subversion of the Dark Lord trope because in so many of the fantasy you know, of, of tropey high fantasy is that there is a bloodless, magical, noble way to kill the Dark Lord, right? We have to go and find the magic mirror that holds his soul and then he'll be dead. Or even in Star Wars, well, um, no, we don't need to mount a uh, deadly and costly siege against the Death Star. We just need to shoot one missile into one hole and then it'll be fine. You know, like 
Game of Thrones wants to subvert things. And this episode kind of subverted all of this stuff about, you know, the Night King being kind of a Sauron type character that had a magical kill switch hidden somewhere. And if we could just solve the puzzle of his weird spirals, maybe we have an answer. Like, nope, just got to get stabbed. But then to bring Melisandre in and make this still have some like prophetic elements and destiny elements. I was like, God damn it. I thought we were done with this bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and i mean it's ironic you say that because then in the once again it's fucking inside the episode like they're like oh yeah um you know and and she stabbed the night king right where they had inserted the dragon glass when the children of the forest made him i'm like what how is that obvious like yeah. thanks for telling me now like what the fuck like i hate that like they've been doing that every episode like they they reveal something in the inside the episode that's like was made was not made clear at all in yeah, the episode no. and it's like wait is that important is that just background information you're just filling in like was that the only way she could have killed him or was like any very confusing and i makes me very upset yeah but can we can we talk about like the brand night king plot for a second yes so i'm completely okay and on board with i know the the sort of uh interpretation you have of of it being sort of like the night king and the whole thing is sort of red herring for the you know, in these in this story overall of being more just like this force, this elemental force that's almost a distraction for the heroes and villains from like the broader story, which is humans and human consequences, right? Something along those lines. Yeah, um, I did a very poor job of paraphrasing your view on this. You got most of uh, the way there, but like I, I'm okay with that. But it still seemed like with the amount of like it seems like like I said, maybe they split the difference again, like. They brought Melisandre back. They all these symbols and everything. And it's like, I still feel like I was expecting something at the end there that just didn't come. Especially with how much, like, amped up that scene was of, like, the Night King slowly walking to Bran and then slowly staring at him. Like, I really didn't know what was going to happen. Like, I didn't know if he was going to, like, you know, try and kill him or, like, bow to him or, like, I I don't know. There's a million things that went through my mind in that time because it was so, like, drawn out and dramatic, which is fine. But I was just like... I just feel like from him or probably more importantly, like from Bran, like, give me a little bit more. I just feel like, and like, I have people, a lot of people are like, I don't think we're done with this yet. I think there's still more to come from the army of the dead. I'm like, no, there's not. No. This is over. The Night King's dead. Like, we're moving on. But like, Bran, what were you doing that whole fight? Like, what is your point? Like, you kept, you kept saying, like, I'm the memory of Westeros. Fine, you told me you're important, but you didn't show me. Like, at least at the bare minimum, just show, like... I don't know, you warged into an army of wolves that jumped in and helped in the fight or something that, like, he was just warging the entire time. And, like, they showed him flying around on crows just, like, looking around. Like, what was... Yeah, I still just very unclear about, like, why Bran? Why is he important? Why does any of this matter? And not relaying any of that information back to, you know, like, he could have been, like, essentially, like, drone surveillance of this entire battle and been, like, calling out, like, protect the right flank, you know, like... Could have been doing that, but he wasn't. Right. Now, I think there's... So this fits in with my larger theory of um, the role of magic in in Game of Thrones and Bran's place in all of that. And magic and the mystical elements of Game of Thrones have always existed in kind of this obscure, nebulous, weird, poorly explained, poorly explained by the POV characters in the book, poorly understood by the characters um 
it's all in a very soft focus. Right. And we have we have misinterpretations, yes. you know, with Melisandre, we have you know, this this very vague understanding of what's going on. And sometimes magic works and sometimes it doesn't, and we as the audience don't really understand it. And even the Melisandres of the world who are you know, the characters whose magic works best, even they fuck it up all the time. They misread the prophecies. They, their spells don't work, et cetera, et cetera. Bran, I think, in becoming the Three-Eyed Raven has moved into that world. We are not going to understand Bran. The other characters are not going to understand Bran. And Bran, at this point, is not terribly interested in what goes on in Westeros. Um, so I, I think that if that's where we're going with this, Bran is going to fade in importance because essentially he is unconcerned with thrones and loyalty and all that stuff. He is on the side of whatever cosmic plane is going on in, in you know, in, in, in the cosmology and, and is, is not really a part of this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's where we're going with Bran. Um, just based on again, like the the way that all of this has worked in the, in the rest of the the books, essentially, is it just seems like um, he has ascended essentially to another uh, another realm and and is going to have less and less impact on the plot. You're probably right about that. I just I just feel like I, it should have made me care more in the episode, right, or in the previous episodes of like what he's doing to combat the Night King, right? Like, and then that would have made that scene feel like. Oh, if he kills him, I know what's going to happen. Where it's just like, well, if he dies, like they don't they don't get the ravens anymore. I, I don't know, like yeah, yeah, you know, or like there's just a lot to it that I was just like, ah, like it just it just kind of sucks some momentum and and the tension out of it because I don't really know why it matters, right? Like and you don't need to have the exact mechanical details, like oh well, he is an avatar for this god, I and mean, if that right. god, it's like I don't need that. Like I just need to know something, or even just like a demonstration of his power, right? All we've seen him do is like give information. Which yeah, is important, but only until this guy's dead. So then I don't know why not. I've read a funny thing. It was like, why not just make like a big dragon glass grenade under Bran, and when the Night King Candy comes, blow it up and like kill them all, get it out of here. Yeah, I mean, you feel like it was like, well, really, the goal is you got to kill the Night King because if you don't, the dead will overrun Westeros. Everybody dies, extinction. Nobody wants that. So it's not so much that you're really protecting Bran. It's really you got to kill the Night King, right? Um, right. But I feel like you're right. The episode did kind of set us up with, um, I mean, I feel like the it was more symbolic of if the Night King gets a chance to kill Bran, that means that we've lost. Not, we haven't lost because he kills Bran. He kills Bran because we've lost. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, I will say that in that scene, I really enjoyed John just like not being able to get there and just being stuck. Yeah, you know what I love that this show continues to do is show that Jon Snow sucks. <laughs> Jon Snow, but his heart's in the right place, man. John, when it, Jon Snow is pretty much just a big dumb tank. Like he's good on the battlefield with a sword, as long as he's not making the decisions about who goes where. Yeah, um, and as long as he can't make any big mistakes, they're going to alter the flow of battle. Um, he's got that plot armor so you can, he can just tank aggro all day long. Um, but yeah, no, he, uh, he done got himself pinned down by a dragon, uh, and then basically just ran out of fucking ideas. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I I just enjoyed that. Like I thought it was well shot. Like 
him trying to get around the dragon not being able to and yeah no i i mean i thought and i thought it was really cool like seeing this like dying dragon with a flaming hole in his neck just kind of mm-hmm. spazzing out it reminded me a lot of dark souls for some reason because that just seems like the kind of like boss encounter you run into um you know this dying half dead blue dragon in in flaming ruins of a castle i was like damn these boys are playing some dark souls um (laughs) but no i liked i liked that idea because i do like you know i every time this show undercuts Jon snow as messiah i just i it gets me every time i love it (laughs) um one other thing I wanted to point out that I, I forgot when we were talking about stuff in the crypts was one really interesting choice that I, I don't know how I feel about, I don't think I liked it, was where, you know, Tyrion was, is the beginning part of the crypts where he's down there and he's frustrated because he wants to be helping, right? Yes. And, you know, since he gets her speech about being brave, whatever. But when he said, like, you know, this is what I do, I, 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 I go out and I, I see something that somebody misses and I can make a difference. And I was just like, yes, that is what you do. You should go do that. And like, it felt weird to me. I don't know if I liked it or didn't like it because I felt like they're building this scene where like, oh, he is going to risk his life to go out and he's going to have taken something he learned from Bran in their discussion and put it together. And he's going to be an integral part of this battle being won. And then... But then they also sort of just toss his heads like, nah, you're you're like you're just useless right now. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Like, so setup? here's here's my read of that scene, is that Tyrion feels useless. He wants to help, and he thinks his value is to go up there and um and try to make some tactical decision that's going to help. And the truth is that you know. We know we as the audience know that's probably not going to help because this is not a situation where there's a better plan. Once the castle starts being overrun, it's like there is not a oh if we only tried this thing, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, I think what that scene was trying to tell us, based on the way that scene pays off, is that Tyrion is trying to find his place in this new paradigm, um. And he's realizing that his skills are not as valuable in this world as they were in the world he came from. The world of battles and tactics and armies and, you know, politics. But then he finds, through his little moment of um, desperation with Sansa, that maybe he has value in, that maybe, not to put too fine of a point on it, but maybe it's not his head that is is that is where his value is and that it is maybe in his heart and that maybe it is by being there for Sansa and by extension everyone else in the crypts he is doing good through his the strength of his character and his courage oh that's nice i like that and he, that's a good interpretation he, he's finding that Sansa needs him it's like a more Disney than movie. yes <laughs> more than Danny or you know, the other army guys need him. It's that Sansa needs him more. And Tyrion, who's always been looking for validation and for somebody telling him he's doing a good job, he might have actually found somebody in Sansa who, you know, might actually, you know, give him what he needs. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that. You. Yeah, good. <laughs> so, uh, I feel like I got through the majority of my gripes. And the things I liked, because like I said, this this episode did pull me in for a lot of it, right? It's just that it didn't last. I mean, I, I woke up at 3.30 in the morning last night, and I literally had to, like, read because I... The first thing I started thinking about was how angry this episode made me be. <laughs> and I couldn't go back to sleep, because god damn it. And 
this is one thing, Greg, and listen, here in Reality Alternative, we value everyone's opinion. And I don't want to, we don't want to ever sound condescending. But I had a feeling today, Greg, when I was, you know, just looking around the internet a little bit and talking to people and, and, you know, everyone's opinion is everyone can enjoy the things like to enjoy. But I could, I could see a noticeable split in people who thought this episode was like really awesome and people who just were like, this sucked. And the things they liked and what really got them jazzed. Like I had one coworker who I said, I respect a lot. You know, he likes, he loves the show. He said he, when Melisandre told, Arya, you know, like when she said, what do we tell death? He's like, I literally jumped out of my couch and screamed, not today. I was so excited. It was the best episode ever. And I was like, okay. A, I love the enthusiasm. That's great. Uh, I'm glad that the fantasy bullshit can reach such a wide group of people. However, uh, I just feel like the, there's a big disconnect between those two groups and then being on the internet. And Greg, to my earlier point, I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm tired of memes and I'm tired of Twitter and I'm tired of quote-unquote news sites just gathering twitter reactions and posting them in a big list and just uh i'm just over it am i old am i out of touch is this the world now no it's the children who are wrong okay (laughs) (laughs) um uh, uh i will say the one the one reaction to this episode that i've seen in places and this isn't necessarily a no, I've actually heard some actual proper critics having this concern that I feel like I have to yell at somebody like, what fucking show have you been watching? And that is people who are disappointed that the Night King died and disappointed that we didn't get some bigger, more magical end or explanation of the Night King. And first of all, we all got hooked on this show in the in the Baylor episode season one when we were like what they cut off the main guy's head and he didn't even get to like do anything cool this show is subverting my fantasy expectations i'm totally hooked and then by season eight we're like what they just killed the bad guy and we didn't even get to know his evil plan they just stabbed him this show is subverting all my fantasy expectations i hate it like this is what this show does (laughs) like this is yeah. the point. The whole point of this has been setting you up with some Tolkien shit and then being like, surprise, reminder, not Tolkien. Right. So when you set up the villain that looks a lot like a Tolkien villain, who's this mute force of nature with no discernible motivation or uh, moral subtlety... Um, and then you think we're just going to pay that off like a standard fantasy Dark Lord villain? Good God. Like, yeah, it's it's what show have you been watching? Like, and also, how did you think the net the Night King? I mean, just just logicking out, you know, there's three episodes left, right? Like, <laughs> do you think that? Oh, I know how this is going to go. They're going to have a fight at Winterfell and they're going to start to lose and then they're going to retreat to where? But even if they do, let's say they retreat to the Iron Islands, then we're just going to do this episode again, but different somehow. Like, no, it's it's you set this up. This episode only ends with the Night King dying. Like, right. There's right. no there is there is no more episodes of this show with the Night King winning. If this was the final episode, yeah, maybe they win. And this is a parable for climate change. And we all go home. But come on, people. <laughs> You knew yeah, this I, wasn't going to go anywhere. 
I saw a lot of, and this is even on the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, which is usually they're a little more, you know, people like us, for lack of a better term, in that they're criticisms of the show and, and what they're expecting because they are such deep fans of the books. And even they were like, oh, so this is just telling us that Cersei's the final boss? What a letdown. And it's like, why is that a letdown? Like, also, I mean, it could be a letdown if that is what the show is going to do, but like, it shouldn't be the, the, the final boss should be Danny or yes. the, the throne the itself. Throne, the throne is the villain. Right. And <laughs> they keep shouting that from the rooftops. Yeah. But like, you know, expecting that like, yeah, this is going to be some big, massive, uh, you know, like you said, fantasy. Yes. Climax of good and evil. It's just like, you're not, what? I don't understand. I mean, I think people just think it's eventually going to grow into that. And just like, that's not what I want it to grow into, but no. And, 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 and I, 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 we are operating at a, maybe it's an advantage. Maybe it's a disadvantage. I don't know. Cause I don't know how broken my brain is as a result of all of this now, (laughs) but like having read the books, um, where Martin's themes are much clearer. Um, it seems obvious to me that, yeah, the, he didn't start this out being like, oh, I'm going to work my way up to, I'm going to start with something very grounded and character driven and uh, realistic and political and personal and ramp it up into a Tolkien ending. Like that is so clearly obvious from those of us who've been reading the books where, you know, you get up to the end of whatever book we finished on five or six. I don't know the numbers. Um, Five. Five. We have not been ramping towards that in the books. The books have been time and time again, primarily a political and military and personal journey. Um, The show has been introducing some more fantastical elements at a slightly greater pace. But like, come on, you all know that we were not building up to the big standard fantasy conclusion. There's no way that this story starts the way it starts, but ends like Return of the King. It's just... I just don't understand why why people let themselves get roped into that. <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, but I guess that leads us to, um, unless you have anything else, leads us to the future. Yes. So I actually, I started because I, I one of the things that pissed me off about this episode and pissed me off about episodes of this show in the past is what is different at the end of the episode than the beginning of the episode, right? Like, how has the plot moved forward? Are there new complications? What's changed? So I actually, trying to be fair about this to the show, I made a list. Because then I don't want to just assume that nothing's changed. Like, I want you to think this through. So here are the things that I think are, that are actual movements in the plot. First, the obvious one, the Night King is defeated. We all knew that was going to happen. But he is defeated in such a way that Daenerys is now going to feel free to pursue the throne. Uh, secondly, and I think this is very important. Um, well, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go to some less important things first. Um, Theon is dead. The only impact I can see of that is the alliance with the Greyjoys might be a little bit different now. Although I think Yara is mostly loyal to Danny, But... But I don't think that's going to really end up mattering. Um, Melisandre is for sure dead. So her and her bullshit prophecies that no one should care about, either in the show or in the real world, um, are no, are off the table. We're not going to hear about Azor Ahai again because there's nobody to speak for it. We're not going to hear about the Lord of Light again because there's nobody to speak for it. Not that any of that stuff really mattered, but it's all off the table now. Um, also important, I think, I think they could have stuck this landing a little bit more and made this a little bit clearer, but I think that 
whatever remained of Arya's kind of mystical, faceless man, no one personality is gone. She is just Arya now, but she still has all of her awesome powers as far as we can see. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be important later on, but just kind of a check mark. Um, I think if this show has any relationship, any relationship to cause and effect anymore, the Stark Targaryen Alliance army is decimated, uh, which I think is going to introduce complications for Danny's mission for the throne, because I think they no longer have a military option against Cersei. And in particular, Danny's side of the Stark Danny the Stark Targaryen alliance is destroyed. Yes, the Unsullied seem mostly dead. The Dothraki have appear to be entirely wiped out, and that was the majority of their elite fighting force. Right, right? you've got Northerners, you've got Wildlings, which at this point we're probably just leave. Right, if there's like I said, any cause and effect, like they don't really care about the fucking so, South. Like yes, I, I, so this is so so that's that's an interesting question. Is at the end of this battle. You've got these various factions, and who are they going to choose to support? Because you're right, the wildlings are just like, cool, we're just going to go home now, because the ice zombies are all gone. Um, but then again... Question, they, question Greg, uh, I wanted to ask you, sorry to interview. Do you think, like, winter is over now? Do you think that, like, these this weird ecological cycle or this particular winter was, like, tied to the Night King? Was that supposed to be, like, the sun rising at the end was supposed to... Or is it just the morning is happening? Um, I think you could make a case for the fact that the the White Walkers were somehow behind the strange weather patterns because we certainly saw them in this episode controlling the weather. Mm-hmm. So you could make the argument that, that winter is over now um, because they were somehow in control of it. Um, and I think that I've been making the case that the White Walkers really are just a personification of the winters in Westeros. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, you're not supposed to understand them. They're not supposed to have a motive. They're not supposed to be just like you're not, you don't understand how a torn, why a tornado happens, right? This is classic man versus nature storytelling. Uh, these things don't have a motive. They can't be reasoned with. They can't be outmaneuvered or outthought. They just are. And I think that's, so I think if, I think there's a, narrative plot suggestion of why the winters are going to be back to normal there is a kind of poetic reason for it so i would not be at all surprised if we saw flowers blooming next episode Mm -hmm. i will say one more just comment on that as one thing i would have liked to like i don't want to know all the details everything i said that i'm okay with the white walkers being this you know personification of winter and and death but i do i am curious like why now right like there's all this theorizing in the books of like when dragons you know like some some cause and effect of like magic re-entering the world or, or becoming more prevalent or something and it you know because if it's if the winters have happened in the past and it seems that the white walkers have always kind of been bopping around in the north because craster had babies and whatever you know all that kind of stuff but like i am just curious like that'd be something i would that feels like a lingering question of like why now so i know you and i know you want to know the answer to that but i <laughs> but i i don't think we're ever going to know one, because I don't think George R. R. Martin wants us to know. Mm-hmm. Two, because I think George R. R. Martin would say the dragons only matter in that they made Daenerys think she was this prophesized princess. And they gave her a military advantage, which created a lot of opportunities for her. Um, uh, the White Walkers, you know, matter in so much only as they are a threat for our characters to respond to. Um, I think that's 
one part of it and two there's a just a natural the way the stories are framed in that it's limited third person so in the books we only get our point of view chapters and since there's really nobody in westeros who knows how any of this shit works there's nobody in westeros to explain to us the readers in a believable way why it's happening Mm -hmm. so we as the readers can't know anything that a point of view character in westeros doesn't know so i just think they're not going to figure it out so that means we're not going to get to know either yeah like maybe brand and the three eyed raven that's about the only option right I'd say. but unless we get a brand pov chapter um i don't think we're going to ever get a real explanation which i'm fine with but yeah but anyways continue i just want yeah. to so there. the army is decimated and i think you could make a case for it's decimated in a way that changes the balance of power in the um stark targaryen alliance because now um, Sansa could, if if the numbers work out the way I think they worked out, Sansa could make the point to Daenerys like, yeah, I don't think we're going to continue to be on your side because as it stands right now, we got a whole lot more Northerners and Wildlings than you have Unsullied. So I think it's time we renegotiate. So I think that that will create some, not only does it change the balance of power between the Northern Alliance and Cersei, but it changes the balance within the Alliance. To that extent, um, the Sansa-Tyrion relationship is clearly developing, and the way that they framed that initial conversation within the context of loyalty to Daenerys or loyalty to the North clearly shows us that Tyrion is might be thinking a change into his allegiance to Sansa. Um... And that's important in light of the fact that Jorah Mormont is dead and Jorah Mormont was always a voice for reason and a voice for mercy and a voice for wisdom in Danny's ear. So with Jorah out of the picture and with Tyrion potentially changing his loyalty and also Daenerys no longer cares what Tyrion has to say, there are, there's nobody left to speak truth to Daenerys and to talk her out of her worst impulses. Yeah, except for Varys, but I don't think she trusts him. No, so. she doesn't trust Varys, um, and I don't think she should trust Varys. Um, Masandi maybe, but... But Masandi also is blindly loyal to Daenerys. True, as as demonstrated in this episode, in a way. And Not she wasn't wrong what she said, that was a, that was a good drop-the-mic moment, but... Correct, um. and <laughs> also, given the, for lack of a better word, chilly reception she and Grey Worm have received from the Westerners, you know, she's right to or the Northerners, what they got from the Northerners, she's right to be distrustful of the Northerners um, and decide further with Danny. So I don't think, I don't think wait, when the time comes for Danny to make some bad calls, I don't think Missandei's talking her, talking her out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think at this point, maybe I'm using all these points to justify my Danny is the final boss uh, theory, but... I think we are definitely setting up a rift, a schism between the Northerners and Daenerys. I hope you're right. I am of a different persuasion that I don't think that's the direction the show is going uh, because I don't think the show has that much tact anymore where I think that if they were going in this direction, we would have been beat over the head with it a little bit more mm, at this point. Fair. Uh, given we have three episodes left. Um I hope it goes that way because that's the way that I want it to go. But I, at this point, I'm thinking the Alliance stays intact. They're decimated militarily so they can't, you know, defeat the Golden Company. The Golden Company exists more or less as just a roadblock 
where, you know, maybe they can distract with a feint and some dragons to pull them out, and then we have Commando Strike Squad into King's Landing of some of our favorite heroes to go take out Cersei and take control. Because I kind of get the feeling that the second she's not on the throne with a big giant undead mountain behind her, that that things are probably people will be pretty content to be like, cool, you're in charge now. Thank you. Yes. Um, that is my guess. That gives us Clegainbowl, which they've now shown that they care almost exclusively about fan service, and everyone has to get a cool exit, uh, as demonstrated by Liana Mormont's kind of, I mean, fine, it was a little cool, but also, like, kind of dumb, and when they explained it in the, in, inside the episode, like, she was supposed to be just a one-off character, but we liked her so much, we put her in, and it's like, no, you didn't, the fans yeah, liked I was gonna her so say, much. I think Twitter liked her, dude, <laughs> that's why yeah. we kept her in. And, you know, like, and we thought it would be a shame to have her, like, you know how she should have died? The fucking giant she ran in and smashed her. Like, that should have been it. That's Game of Thrones, right? Like, yep. you don't put a little girl in the battlefield. <laughs> and But fine, whatever. But I think that gets you Game Bowl, which I actually agree with you. I think it is important. Um, also, you know, what is hype? You know, may never die. Uh, mm-hmm. But, and then I think that gets you some some situation where you have, I think it's Jamie, um, some combination of the Lannisters killing one another or perhaps Arya. Although since Arya killed the Night King, I'm kind of thinking she might not be the one that kills Cersei as well. But maybe she is. Yeah, but I don't think she gets Cersei. <coughs> I think Jamie. That's sort of Cersei. where I think the show is going at this point. Yeah, but I think that you can. I think you can do all that and then still have a um, final confrontation between John and Danny because you could. I just again, I, I going with the assumption that the end state is uh, George R. R. Martin's end state. And that that ending will pay off on the themes that George R. R. Martin started all of this with. I think that ends with a, the throne is the problem, guys. And we need to not have it anymore. Um, because everyone who sits on it gets corrupted by it. Or is quickly murdered and replaced by someone corrupt. Martin has gone to great lengths to lay out the entire history of the Targaryen dynasty um, in Westeros to show us over and over again that even when you have a good king, they get replaced by a bad king and that things are never good for a very long time for anyone. And because everyone is always fighting over this throne, war is endless and it sucks and everyone's miserable. Um... And at the center of all of this is a big, dumb chair. And if we just got rid of that chair, maybe things would be better for everybody and everything the chair represents. And I just feel like that is what he's getting towards. Um, And uh, so I feel like when he had his sit down with the showrunners, he said the ending is, um, uh, you know, the Starks realizing that the throne itself is the problem and... um, melting it down so that all the different kingdoms can be independent. Um, and the bittersweet part is that, you know, John and Daenerys are in love, but they have to kill each other out of this conflict. And I just feel like, because that feels like the payoff from what he's been working on. I feel like that's what he told him, and I feel like that's what we're going to get to. Because also, three episodes, and they're all like giant size episodes, I think, feels like a lot of time to get to King's Landing negotiate have the negotiations go south kill cersei and then we just have a happily ever after as john and daenerys get on the throne i don't buy it and also i just don't is daenerys gonna share the throne do we see her doing that 
No. Do we no. see do we see Sansa giving up on the idea of northern independence? Maybe. Just cuz she seems like a reasonable person, but, but like But do we, but also do we see John giving up on that idea? Keep in mind, these are things that John has done. Um totally change sides to the wildlings. Um basically blew up the night's watch because the because wildlings are people too. Wildling lives matter. Um, he also sacrificed his own life um, in defiance of the rules and traditions of the Night's Watch because he thought that, you know, the wildlings and their crazy ideas about freedom and love, man, might be valuable and these people might be worth saving. Um, and then when he came back to life, um, gave up on, you know, very clearly broke his sworn vows to the Night's Watch and all they represent about hierarchy in the old ways um, so that he could begrudgingly accept the crown of king in the North to protect the independence of the North. That guy who has done all of this stuff so far in the final choice is going to say, yeah, you know what? You're fine. All that stuff about independence and freedom and, you know, self-governance and all that. I changed my mind about all that. You sure are pretty, Danny. Like, is that <laughs> really going to be the climax of Jon Snow's character path? I hope not. Well, again, is that the idea George R. R. Martin had in mind? I don't yeah, think no. it is. I don't think so. And I'm hoping you're right. And I do think you're right that we can accomplish both of our theories in, in a package that might outline pretty well. So I don't think we're getting another, like, big giant set piece battle i, really I think that hope budget not. was blown on this i really hope and not. i mean we might get like a dragon fight sure like over king's landing which could be kind of you know interesting but um perhaps resulting in a death and then the destruction of the iron throne or something like that but uh yeah i don't know um yeah i guess we'll find out though mm. I'm, I'm actually kind of i'm interested about next week because again it's like a oh the situation has changed. I want to see how it's changed. I want to see what the new kind of like state of affairs is and how the how everyone's goals and motivations shake out because that's what I care about in this show is what do these characters want and what's their plan to get it and then how does that plan get complicated by what other characters want. And I feel like next episode is a chance to kind of get back to that after yeah. two episodes of hugs and reunions and... Um, you know, suboptimal fight scenes. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that, and you know, one thing I always want to say, you know, when I when we talk about these episodes, we have to view a season as a whole, right? Like, we could be, we could have been wrong about some of the things or the lack of impact of some of these things in this episode because you know maybe they will take something that happened in this fight and be like, oh yeah, remember this? It was really important. Be like, oh, I didn't realize that. Like, you know. When Bran was doing something, he was doing something really important. Probably not. But, like, you know, like, or or someone's interaction that we met that, like, didn't seem important, they're going to make a plan. Sure. So I hope that that happens more. But, you know. Yeah, it would be nice if some of the more throwaway elements of this episode got um, fleshed out a little bit more. Like, you know, the idea that people have kind of floated that um, really Theon's purpose was to give Arya just the last five seconds she needed to get into position mm -hmm. he didn't know it but Bran knew it somehow because he's you know you know he's flying around and seeing where Arya is through you know whatever animal eyes or what have you yeah um I like that idea I will say that I feel like this episode 
pulled a little too heavily from the... Have you seen the movie Signs? The M. Night Shyamalan movie Signs? Yes. Okay. There were a lot of just kind of like... The way Signs is all about like, you know, these seeming coincidences end up being this like predestined way to save the day. I feel like this episode leaned a little too heavily on that idea of, you know, everything you did brought you here today. You know? Yeah. I think it leaned a little too heavily on that. And because I don't like when this show or the, this story leans too heavily on like destiny and preordained as opposed to just Arya's really good at killing people. And she knew she, this was a guy she needed to kill. But right. yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it, it's a lot depends on how I mean, like George deals a lot with prophecy and, and that sort of thing in his books. It comes up a lot. You see different versions of it through different characters. But like you said earlier, like I think that it is much more about how the characters are interpreting it. Even someone like Bran, who, you know, may or may not be seeing a bigger picture, but he's still not seeing the whole picture. And he's he's seeing it like, oh, it all comes together. But like, really, there was nothing that like there's nothing in this episode that says like there's no Rube Goldberg machine, you know, that like made the events happen to let this happen this way right? right like i mean they view it as like oh it's all meant to be it's all god's plan you know like you've heard that like in the real world but like it's like no it's just like this is what happened and like you can attribute prophecy to it if you want but like and, and it, maybe it is or maybe it's not and like that's okay and that's i like that ambiguity is, yeah. is fine i mean i think that the, that the 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 way that martin has set up the prophecies is like yeah they're out there um but generally they only matter when they are influencing characters to make choices. You know, like Stannis totally thought he was Azor Ahai and that led him to make some dumb decisions because he was drinking the Kool-Aid about that. I think that you could make the argument that Cersei's prophecy that she got from Maggie the Frog, it doesn't matter if that prophecy is true. It's that once Cersei thought it was starting to come true, Cersei got even more paranoid and fatalistic, which causes her to act a certain way. Mm-hmm. Because she's starting to think that, oh my God, my children are destined to die and I'm destined to be murdered. So I'm just going to watch the world burn. Um, yeah. So that's why that prophecy matters. Not because George R. R. Martin is telling us, the readers, I'm I'm giving you a secret roadmap to the ending of the of the books. If you can just figure out who is the prince who was promised, I don't mm-hmm. think that's what he's doing. He's just saying that um, because certain people believe that they might accept uh, Daenerys as their messiah. Yeah. Or it might cause. Daenerys to think she's the messiah etc cetera, etc cetera. I think that there's a little bit of what you said George isn't doing because like if you do go back and you you know the things that like characters have seen like firsthand seen like what Danny sees in the house of the undying and some things that Bran sees and people do misinterpret it like there's someone I saw a thing today and on the wiki that was looking at that the great other or whatever um there was a quote from melisandre that's talking about how she saw you know like an ancient tree with a face carved into it and then like you know like a a boy with a wolf face or like and she's like oh they're they're servants of of like the evil people it's like well they're not like they're clearly not but you're misinterpreting it so like there are definitely and i like that we're like there's definitely some sort of prophetic vision happening in this world it's just that eh, we don't know what they are right. and we're not good at interpreting it so and I also but it makes people want to go back and look and look for it because those those clues are there and like they are you know they do happen you're like wow this is exactly what not exactly what they said but like you can interpret this as this and but i also but I, I think you're also right like i think both things are right. yeah and i think that and i think there's a difference between a vision that a pov character experiences 
and a prophecy that is just a part of the world building. Um, because we are meant to, you know, when we see something through a character's eyes, this is the vision they are having. We read it in their POV chapter. We can take that as much more true than something Sam finds in a book in the um, in the tower, you know? Right. Um, and I think George R. R. Martin is also a clever writer in that, you know, these visions that Danny has in the House of the Undying in, like, book two, some of, you know, he throws out a lot of cool things that he might want to use later, and if she's going to see seven things, he might come back to one of them. Right. And, and just find a way to shoehorn it in and make it work. Um, again, I just think it's, 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 there are a lot of people out there that think that they can predict the end game based on the mystical elements of the writing as opposed to the thematic elements. And mm-hmm. I'm of the mind that follow the themes, not the, not the hocus pocus, but yeah, I agree completely. I think you're right. Um, I wanted to end on, if unless you have anything else, uh, I mean, I could just, I mean, the rest of my life is talking about this bad show. So <laughs> you should, you should, you should wrap this up, put us out of our misery. Yes, um, do you remember this is gonna this is gonna make you think of member of like plot threads completely lost in this show? Do you remember the girl who like dressed in all red and like talked to Jorah about Danny? I don't remember her name. Like she's in the books too, but then they're like you know they're in Essos. Like she crops up a couple the, times. The and, other like, red priest, priestess. Yeah, the other red priest. Yeah, her name starts with a K or something. Yes. Yes. Remember that girl? Vaguely. Yeah. <laughs> Where did she go? Like. That was just something. I saw her in the episode we were watching the other day. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a character that's never showed up again." <laughs> um, I think that in the, I think that Martin had bigger plans for um, the the cult of the Red Priests. Oh, for sure. Than yeah. what we see in the show. Yeah, I know. I just <laughs> thought it was funny. Just like another example of like things that to my previous things last week and the week before of like threads started that they realize midway through like ah we don't really or need to or want to do this anymore so let's just ignore it or that lady in the mask who always like appeared out of nowhere to say crypt no, that's the girl i'm talking about oh we're that's talking about two talking different about. people well i think that some people interpret in the books that they're the same person but oh, i don't think so there's the girl in like the the beaded mask right that's the girl i'm talking about all right yeah no uh we dropped that um yeah. she was in karth and then there's another red priestess that we've encountered later on in the show, yeah. Oh, okay. But really, that. only during that like that five minutes where like, um, oh yeah, 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 where they're like Tyrion and Varys are in Volantis for like five minutes. Correct. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Both those things like completely dropped. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to point out that you know that's a thing too. Yes. Echoes of what could have been in the show and how uh, lots of in this episode I think is an example of yet another missed opportunity but i want to i want to uh, while we're talking about that while these things are are are, are fun for us to bring up i want to make it very clear i am not of the school of game of thrones theorizing that says that uh there is some other major callback or revelation or magical device or new character or new villain that is going to pop up from here on out Oh, no, I was not no, I, I know you're not saying that either. I'm saying this for the five people who are listening. I just want to make it clear. <laughs> we are not saying that. The pieces are on the fucking board, and we are where we are. Nobody's showing up with a dragon binder horn at this stage. It ain't going to happen. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, guy. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about that other thing. Mm. 
And oh, are we. I know you have much to say about Avengers Endgame. I do. And I am very eager to hear your thoughts on it. But we are out of time to record tonight. So um, we're... Let's just hop into it. Another hour and a half. We got this in us, right? Uh, who's the <laughs> we there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we got it. We got it. We're good. Yeah, we started late because my my daughter decided she didn't want to go to bed tonight. So uh, we were going to do both tonight. But um, that ship has sailed. <laughs> like the it's Iron fun. Fleet. Yeah, I, uh, I I want to get real refreshed anyway. I needed to get all this Game of Thrones nonsense out of my head to to refocus on on something that's a, a little more like a little more of like a, a, a actual discussion instead of just dumping on something for an hour. Yeah, and a half. I mean for me the Game of Thrones cycle will continue, which is where I'm gonna still think about this bad episode of this bad show um, until about Friday, <laughs> when I'll forget around lunchtime that Game of Thrones is always disappointing and bad. And start to get excited again. And my brain's going to start <laughs> to work on all the things that I want to see happen in the episode. And then by Sunday night, I'll watch the episode. And none of the things I wanted happen. And everything I didn't want to happen happens. And then I get pissed again. And we're, and this is my life now. Do, great. Do you watch with anybody? Like, do you watch with Karen? Karen or, and I watch it, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, she shares in my frustration, but often uh, for different reasons. Gotcha. All right, buddy. Well, I'm going to get this uh, posted so that people can uh, bask in the heat of our takes. Um, Yeah, I mean, they've been clamoring for it. Yes. The internet must know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. See you later.